This program is not intended to diagnose, cure, or treat any disease or disorder. The listener is encouraged to seek sound medical advice from their doctor or other qualified healthcare practitioner before taking any supplements or starting a new health regimen. Welcome back to the Nutrition Heretic Weekly Podcast. I, uh, I say welcome back because I'm imagining that you're probably likely one of the people who right now is binge listening to the Nutrition Heretic. Binge listening. So yes. It's a, good, it's, we, it's a good thing to do. We know that's happening, right? Yeah. Oh, hey, absolutely. And if it's not happening, I'm, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Uh, <laughs> Adrian Hugh, my co-host for, for the Nutrition Heretic and, of course, the Nutrition Heretic herself. Adrian, um, you mentioned a term to me that I just want to touch on because I, I think it's coming up in our next show. Uh, you mentioned a term called aggressive composting, and I was saying that that kind of sounds like an oxymoron. Yeah, it, it does. But uh, if you understood how this works, it's it's a system uh, in particular called Bokashi. Uh, we're going to explore with a, a guy by the name of Jeremiah Hinton. He lives uh, not too far from me here in Hawaii, and he uh, he he has given some workshops uh, recently. Uh, he also does some other interesting soil amendments, and this goes way beyond organic, because where organic is still, it, it's it's looking at a more natural form of conventional farming. In other words, it's very focused on remediating the uh, the bugs and uh, you know keeping the weeds at bay. This is a totally different system that works more through fermentation. And if you know what a probiotic is, which I'm pretty sure you do because you're a pretty smart guy, uh, if you know what uh, uh, probiotics are, this is like applying probiotics to your soil. As opposed to amateur biotics. Uh, Which biotics? Uh, Amateur biotics. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Uh, Sorry, you you kind of uh, fuzzed over the first time you said that. Uh, So anyway... Uh, yeah, so this is this is uh, uh, really just a phenomenal procedure that we're using now, and I can turn over a batch of compost in about five weeks, where most people it takes them the better part of a year. Well, I'm sure, and it's not just because it's warm here all the time. It has nothing to do with that. It's just fermenting and then feeding the soil what it wants, and it, it allows the soil to digest. Uh, that those that food waste or whatever waste it is, it, it can even digest bones. You can put bones in this thing, fat, all of that stuff. I, I did uh, a batch where I had a crab shell in it, and you. One of the things you can do with this thing is you you uh, strain off the liquid from this fermenting <clears throat> vegetables, and you use that in a in a very dilute solution to apply to your plants and it brings stuff back to life literally i've given bottles of it because you collect so much of it i've given given bottles of it to my neighbors who said oh i have a mint plant that's dying or my eggplant isn't looking right or what have you and they all come back and they're like what the heck is in that thing yeah and just never leave the bottle of that stuff in the fridge if you don't want a really embarrassing incident to take place yeah well it's that's actually kind of funny because i do put it in wine bottles oh (laughs) To fake people out. <laughs> I am never well, going to your place for that. a fondue. It's just <laughs> not going to happen. Wine and cheese party? No, not going to happen. Um, but today we're not talking about plant health. Today we're talking no. about our health. Right. 
And you know that uh, one of my, my many, 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 many pet peeves, Jim, is that people frivolously use the term health and the term healthy. Uh, and it doesn't matter what the outcome is, they will say, I eat blah, 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 and it's so healthy. And meanwhile, they're feeling sick, they're looking sick, they can't get up out of bed, they've got back pain, you name it, they've got it, but they are healthy. And uh, this harkens back to when I, before I became a nutritionist, before I learned what constituted uh, a good, a better diet than what I was consuming, I was not healthy. I was gaining weight rapidly. I suffered from eczema, seasonal allergies, blood, uh, uh, nosebleeds. You name it, I had it. I had just about everything that you could imagine. My face was cracked and bleeding every morning. And I'd go to doctor after doctor after doctor, including, remember I told you there was one famous doctor here in the U.S. who is now doing PBS shows, uh, hawking his, his vegan diet. Uh, even that guy told me that I was perfectly healthy uh, before he tried to sell me a case of noni juice. Actually, two cases of noni juice, So, which was the, the big thing back then. So... Was I healthy? No, I wasn't. And we have to stop trying to appease people, or I don't even know what they thought they were doing, other than maybe it was just because they didn't know what to do with me. They just told me that I was healthy and it was all in my head. A a couple of years ago, I have a guy working on my house, and he says to me, okay, I'm I'm just going to give you the short list of, of illnesses that this guy told me he had. He was, he had high blood pressure, he was type 2 diabetic, he had cirrhosis of the liver, he had hep C. He was on Viagra, which I didn't want to know. Uh, he had uh, hernia. And he was blind in one eye. And that's just the stuff I can remember off the top of my head. Wow, you would think the last thing he needed was Viagra with a hernia and all that other stuff. Yeah, right? <laughs> that's wishful thinking on his part. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, apparently his wife didn't like him anyway, so. Not really but, sure where he thought he was going with that. <laughs> you know, the thing is, is that when doctors say you're healthy or they ask how you feel, they're not asking how you feel. They're asking if you're in any pain, and they're not, and and they're not even asking that very well because they're not asking, "Are you happy?" And if well, you're not happy, then you're not really going to be healthy. Right. Correct. Right. Well, this guy was definitely complaining. He definitely admitted, but he was—he was the type of person who, oh yeah, I've got some diabetes. I just eat a handful of Skittles and I'm fine, uh, which we know is oh, not really self-medicating. The way you deal, <laughs> right? Exactly. That's not really the way you deal with it. I just have a little sugar and then I'm fine. Why? Why did Bloomberg tax the sugar? So. Um, uh, so anyway, he was going through all of this. He decides that he wants to take up scuba, di- scuba diving lessons. He goes to the doctor and the doctor, uh, because before you do scuba, especially in your fifties with all of his problems, you're supposed to get checked out and see if you're healthy enough for it. And he goes, he gets checked out and I'm like, there is no way in hell they're going to pass this guy. How? What? Why is he even trying? Because they're not going to let him do it. He comes back the next day and says, oh, the doctor said he hasn't seen anybody as healthy as me in years. <laughs> I was like, you have got to be kidding me. That must have been Donald Trump's family doctor. <laughs> Something like that. It was it was pretty horrific, uh, in my opinion. So this is what we're dealing with. And I'm, I'm not even going into... I'm, I was I was going to tell a tale about a guy I know who's 
800 pounds, who also is incredibly healthy because he doesn't have diabetes and, you know, other things that they would expect at 800 pounds. Uh, but doctors consider him healthy. Okay. It, it almost sounds <laughs> as if you're not dead, so you're healthy. Exactly. This is exactly where I'm going. And, and, many pe- and I'm finding more and more that people are coming up with their own definitions of health. Well, health is when you have a heartbeat and you are, ha- well, happy. Uh, but uh, you know, it could, anything else can be happening in your life. Everything else can be falling apart on your body. And somehow you still can get a clean bill of health from your doctor. So where most people think that they are healthy, I, I'm not trying to discourage them, but I want them to know that they could feel so much better. And, and to underscore that, uh, one of my first clients uh, that I had, she told me that she didn't really need me, but she just wanted to find out what she should be eating. So I made some suggestions, she made some changes, and then she said, oh, you know, I haven't really noticed anything. And she goes on for about two weeks saying that she's doing everything. And then finally there's like a, a Saturday morning. Her husband makes his world-famous French toast on brioche or whatever kind of bread it was. And she, and he's tempting her the whole time. Remember, remember, remember when we talked about how our spouses will sometimes try to sabotage us. So he's trying to sabotage whatever she's doing. And he hands her the, the French toast. He's like, come on, you can have just like a little bite. So she she's like, oh, yeah, it just smells so good. Okay, fine. She takes a bite. She takes another bite. She starts getting heart palpitations and she has to go to the emergency room. Basically, when she was... Coming off of her standard diet, she didn't notice how much more energy she was getting. She didn't notice how much clearer her brain was. But as soon as she went back, all of that stuff came flooding back. And she was like, oh, this is... And then when, it was, when the episode was over, she said, oh my gosh, this is what I've been feeling all this time. I didn't realize how much I had been kind of crippled by my diet. So uh, today, because I want to address this, uh, this uh, question of health, I wanted to invite uh, Sally Fallon Morell, who is the president of the Weston A. Price Foundation. She's also the author of Nourishing Traditions, Eat Fat, Lose Fat, the Nourishing Traditions book of baby and child care, and Nourishing Broth, as well as several other books. Sally Fallon Morell, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having Hi, me. Hi. Thank you so much for, for uh, being on the show because I know what a hectic schedule uh, you have. So we're going we're gonna to get you in and out of here as quickly as possible. <laughs> uh, but when you listen to some of the stories that I just told, mm. what, what, do you, what are you hearing? Uh, what, what do you think of as good health? When a doctor says, tells somebody with numerous health problems, that, oh, it's just all in your head and that's, yeah. you know, the rest of you is fine, even though you can see the evidence on the person. Yeah, we, we, we hear that kind of story all the time. Or they tell you that you're a hypochondriac, but there's nothing wrong with you and you need to see a psychiatrist. I got that. Uh, on the other hand, we hear of people who are really healthy, feel great, lead a good, active life, and they go to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, your cholesterol's too high. Uh, and they put them on a drug to lower their cholesterol when the guy was perfectly healthy. 
Right. So, yes, these doctors are going by the numbers. There's no question, um, you know, our, our, your blood tests say you don't have diabetes, your cholesterol's in the right range, so you're healthy. Right. But you may be tired, you may be um, uh, unable to think clearly, uh, you may run out of energy at the end of the day, you may have rashes like you had, uh, a lot of things that make your life miserable. And the doctors really don't have a pill for these kind of things. If they can't give you a pill for it, then you're perfectly fine. Is basically how it works. Right. And, and I, I, I think I think number one is how do you function throughout the day? Do you have energy all day long, or do you have a long time getting up to speed in the morning, or do you start flagging at three o'clock in the afternoon and your energy goes downhill? So I think that's one way of looking at this. You really should have very constant energy all day long to be able to do whatever you want to do without flagging without low spots and go till you know sometime in the evening when suddenly you're sleepy and then you go to bed right and then you sleep well you know that's another thing uh, another sign of good health is that you can sleep that you can get in bed head hits the pillow you go to sleep and you sleep through till the morning that's a very important sign of health Right. Now, you actually brought up a couple of things that I, I find interesting. One, when you talk about the doctors going by numbers, I always think of George Orwell uh, when, when I think of the way doctors practice, because it is very Orwellian <laughs> that we are, yeah. we have yeah. been reduced to numbers in that, in that yeah. sense. Yeah. Where we Unfortunately. Are, right. Yes. We are our cholesterol numbers, we're our blood pressure, we're our weight, yeah. and whatever other numbers they want to throw at us. That we blood have, sugar. And, right, exactly. and by the way, the uh, range of normalcy gets smaller and smaller as they set new guidelines i mean the old guidelines for blood pressure were your age plus 100 over 90 which means that very few people would be on blood pressure medications exactly i was just about to go there but if they make it 120 over 70 for everybody a lot of people are going to be on blood pressure medications and i can remember the days when normal blood sugar was anything from 80 to 140 right and now it's it's you know supposed to be 80 or lower and what we're doing is getting people's blood pressure too low for a lot of people, their cholesterol too low, their blood sugar too low by all of these medications. Right. Absolutely. And sometimes you don't know if it's the, it's, it's hard for people to pinpoint whether it's the side effect of the medication itself, meaning the, the, the composition, uh, the toxins and, and other chemical constituents of the medication that makes them feel worse, or if it's the fact that it is achieving this goal of artificially lowering the cholesterol, which we know we need for brain health, for example. Yeah, absolutely. We need cholesterol for brain health. As we get older, we need our cholesterol levels to be rather high on the high side to protect us from cancer. Mm -hmm. uh, low cholesterol is a marker for cancer. Uh, if your blood pressure is too low as you get older and you need a little bit higher blood pressure to push it, you know, so the blood goes through your veins, um, you will feel tired. You might pass out. Uh, you don't, won't have a lot of strength and energy. So uh, basically everything is geared to putting people on a drug and there's no attention to diet. And... At the Weston A. Price Foundation, that's where all of our attention goes. And more particularly, to show people that what is being suggested as quote-unquote good nutrition 
is not good nutrition. Exactly. First and foremost, you need animal fats in your diet to be healthy. You need butter and you should be cooking in bacon fat or lard. Uh, you need uh, all these good animal fats, egg yolks, cream. Um, I, almost gave, I almost gave Jim a heart attack the other week when I told him that uh, we should be frying our chicken in tallow. <laughs> yeah, tallow or, or lard. And um, I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you a really interesting story that we heard a few months ago. A man was 400 pounds mm -hmm. and he didn't want to lose weight. He loved his food and he loved fried food. He ate everything fried, all fried in vegetable oil. He decided to raise a pig and he rose, raised the pig and took it to the butcher and they said, do you want the lard? He said, well, I might as well take the lard. Uh, shame to have it go to waste. And then he started frying everything in lard and he lost and he didn't change anything else in fact he was eating more because the food tasted so good he lost 80 pounds and and how long did it take in a few months like six months whoa and that's all he did was change from food fried in vegetable oil to food fried in lard yeah and and this is what i've been trying to educate people on for 20 years is that just you, you don't necessarily have to change what you eat you just need to change the quality of what you eat and how you prepare it and right. so forth you know our diet there's no renunciation there's no deprivation on our diet we include everything we include dairy products we include uh, grains uh, sauces salt even sweet things, but we tell you how to prepare them and which kinds to use. Do you have to buy right. a pig, Sally? Because no, you don't have to buy a pig. <laughs> but, but we do. We do recommend lard. Lard is a good source of vitamin D, and it's also very stable fat. It's not going to uh, cause a red alert in your body. You know, when you eat those vegetable oils, and particularly if they have been used for deep frying your body goes on red alert because you are putting a lot of toxins in your body. And one of the ways the body goes on red alert is to get, gain weight. Yes. You know, the, the weight, the fat, extra fat is a place to just hide those toxins away so they don't do more damage. Absolutely. I uh, somewhat jokingly call, uh, uh, call saturated fats the other antioxidants. Because well, yeah. <laughs> because they do pre prevent oxidation, where you know you heat yes. your your uh, vegetable oils, even your olive oil and the other unsaturated oils, uh, they're going to cre create free radicals, and everybody pretty much kind of knows that buzzword is something that we don't want to create more of in our body. And I think of the saturated fats as the ones that will squash them, and therefore they are antioxidants. <laughs> in my, well, in they my don't do that. They don't break down, and they're safe. Right. And this is the kind of fat that mankind has eaten for tens to hundreds of thousands of years. And it just doesn't make sense that suddenly we can switch to an oil, a very fragile oil, which has gone through horrendous processing. And then we heat these oils. It doesn't make sense that they would be safe for us. Absolutely. And, and this is uh, another, I keep bringing up my pet peeves, but another pet peeve of mine is that our medical society focuses on or, or perceives the body as something that is always trying to destroy itself, whereas you at the foundation and people like me are working from the standpoint of the body wants to be healthy. We just haven't given it yes. the right tools. And so yeah, it's a very different mindset. Yes. The body knows how to heal. 
And in most cases, and now we never make promises that this exactly. is going to work for everybody. But in most cases, you will heal or at least get better by switching to real food and the kind of preparation techniques that we recommend. Well, it means you have to cook. It means you really have to get in the kitchen and cook or find somebody to cook for you. Um, that's, that's okay also. Or just learn you know, what to buy, uh, simple things that you can buy so you're eating the right kinds of food. Well, it's certainly not. I, I can see you being happier cooking if it includes bacon. That's that's yeah. all I have to say. Bacon is a gateway meat. Yeah, bacon. Yeah. I would do oh, anything lard. for bacon. Yeah, that's uh, people always. People always uh, say to me, uh, well, there's, there's the one side of people who are such kale aficionados and they love their kale. And then there's a bunch of people who say kale is disgusting. I'm like, well, why didn't you put bacon on it? Yeah. It's very simple. Well, I, I, I would like to say something about kale. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the latest thing. It's gone to the top of the vegetable hit parade. Absolutely. It's being eaten raw and in smoothies and is chips. And kale is quite dangerous mm-hmm. this way. It has a lot of oxalic acid in it that can cause kidney stones, uh, stones anywhere in the body, blocks calcium. Uh, kale in traditional cultures or what they would call greens or lechuga or whatever was uh, put in in the pot or whatever and cooked. Exactly. And it needs to be cooked a long time and with fat. So when you think of the southern greens that mm-hmm. they ate, every day practically it was greens it was, it was kale or mustard greens or turnip greens whatever they were cooked a long time and there was fat back in there Absolutely. and we really can't ignore these kinds of traditions because they were very wise and and that's what people are doing today with things like kale or another of my favorites is or unfavorites is granola yes which yeah no. uh, which is <laughs> basically uncooked grain and humans just cannot digest uncooked grain uh grains need to be soaked in a slightly acidic medium and then cooked and then they will be very digestible for you but traditional cultures did not eat things like granola and and this is so important that you that you say this as well because when i talk to people about what to eat they're so convinced of the calories in the food that they actually want their food to not be assimilated does that make sense you know something like granola because this happened to me Mm -hmm. i was i made the best granola on the planet and it messed up my gut so badly uh i'd have to lie down in the middle of the day i had such digestive problems ouch and uh once i learned that granola is undigestible i just stopped eating it and and i was fine um but yeah these are the things we need to know and they they can have very serious effects you know we have kids now whose digestive tracts are so torn up we have adults this way too that they can hardly digest anything Mm mm-hmm And that's what happens when you eat foods like granola or kale chips. You know, these are indigestible. And it's not that they just go right through you. That would be one thing. But they do a lot of harm on the way through. Right. Exactly. Uh, It's funny that when you mentioned the the greens, because this is how I've been telling people for years. As a matter of fact, I had a client last year who uh, was telling me, well, this is what I eat. I stopped eating uh, uh, because she got on the gluten intolerant 
bandwagon. I stopped eating gluten. I don't have this. I don't, and but every time I eat buckwheat and quinoa, I feel really sick, and I get bloated, and I, my joints hurt, and da da da. So I'm thinking, 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 and then I remembered. Oh yeah, she also said she's been eating a lot of spinach salad. Spinach also high in yes. oxalic acid, right? Uh, yes, right so, right. so I said to her, you know what? I want you to. I, I put her just down to zero. I, I was like, here, have a sweet potato, have a uh, lamb. And yeah. I think I gave her cucumbers and avocado. I was like, just start there. Okay. Just because yeah. she wasn't, she wasn't one to mix up her diet much anyway. I was like, just eat those few foods for, for the next week and tell me what happens. And so then she's like, after about two or three days, she feels better. Yeah. So we we keep going and I start adding foods very gradually and I'm not going anywhere near anything with high uh, oxalic acid in two months she lost 30 pounds oh wow wow and she but then something happened and i think i told her what was going on and i said okay you got to stay away from these foods but then something happened she ended up falling off the wagon wagon and she ends up gaining back some of the weight and then she started having trouble getting it off again when she went back to oh. eating. So we had to do some other stuff. But uh, it just really goes to show that uh, that uh, this is a pretty insidious thing and, and not to jump on every bandwagon because I, I always say that there is no bad food because I, I really am uh, uh, again, <laughs> annoyed well, by these superfood trends because what happens is we get this this monoculture of everybody first of all it's the monocropping of these foods here on on hawaii island we actually have a deficit of kale because so many people eat (laughs) kale (laughs) where there's a kale shortage right (laughs) i know and there's a cauliflower shortage because the um paleo people are exactly cauliflower (laughs) and and don't even Uh, get me started on almonds sally don't get started on almonds So yeah, so we're creating all of these these um, environmental problems as well. Well, and the quinoa craze has also, and you know, I almost feel a little responsible for this, Adrian, because I think my book, Nourishing Traditions, was the first book that had a quinoa recipe in it. You're right. You're right. That was and, the first one I made. <laughs> and um, now we, you know, this was a staple food in South America, and the price has gotten so high for the local people, right? Because all the foodies are eating quinoa, and Again, that's a food. That's a grain they consider toxic unless it's prepared properly. Yes, and people are not preparing it properly. Yes, and and uh, one thing that I uh, also uh, get uh, very sensitive about when we create these new superfoods, and everybody's got you know, <laughs> you notice how yeah. in other circles the avocado is the symbol of the good fat. Uh, yeah, right, well, right. people don't realize there's a cartel behind all of this. There's there are families being held at gunpoint for their avocados in Mexico. Oh, really? I did not know Oh, that. yes. Oh, they're called the blood avocado. And, uh, and I have no reason to believe that it's not the same thing that's going on with quinoa. Yeah. And yeah. so many of these other foods that people are just jumping on this bandwagon of we got to get more and I don't do that, so I'm going to do this instead. And we're just creating more uh, uh, areas for corruption to take over the food supply. But you know, and, yeah. Well, and sorry, I, I was just going to say, Sally, that that's that's nothing new, though. I mean, you know, a, a great deal of the history, the tragic history of of, uh, of South America is built on um, you know outside influences trying to dominate different foodstuffs. Um, yeah, we could go back to the Roman Empire for that. Well, though. <laughs> well let's let's talk about milk for a minute because sure. you know, I'm a big advocate for raw dairy. 
purchased directly from farmers who engage in grass-based farming, small local dairies providing clean raw milk. And the biggest mafia there is, in my opinion, is the milk industry, which has taken nature's perfect food and figuring, figured out how to completely destroy it with processing. So much so that they've, they've shot themselves in the foot because uh, conventional dairy consumption, conventional milk consumption is going down at about 3% per year relentlessly because people can't drink this stuff anymore. It's the number one allergen. It makes people sick to their tummies. It's, you know, children on this kind of milk get lots of earaches and digestive problems. And it, this is a mafia. Uh, they are they control the markets. Just four big companies control all the dairy in the United States. When we're talking about now, milk that's safe, though, Sally, are we talking about uh, are we talking about pasteurization or are we not talking about pasteurization? We're not talking about pasteurization. I don't okay. think pasteurized milk is safe. In fact, I think uh, let's see. Well, I don't know how many died in the latest Bluebell thing, but up to that point, it was sixty. We've had sixty three deaths. In, since 1966 from pasteurized milk and pasteurized milk products produced in the United States. We've had zero deaths from raw milk and raw milk products produced in the United States. So, uh, you know, it, it's perfectly safe. Raw milk is a very safe food. It contains a lot of components that actually kill pathogens and that protect you against pathogens. And they're all destroyed by pasteurization. It has to be clean. It has to be produced in clean conditions, and we know how to do that today. We may not have known how to do that 50 years ago, but we know how to do it today. And one, one thing that I've noticed is that if I do get something, uh, some foreign bacteria introduced to my milk, depending on what it is, either mm -hmm. it will go rancid or it will sink to the bottom. It's like the, the microbes, the, the natural microbes in the milk just shove it to the bottom. And something similar happens when I make kefir or water kefir, uh, where it'll take an impure, the impurities in a, a coconut, for example, and sink those to the bottom and just let the good stuff float on the top. Well, I don't know if that's exactly what's happening, but I do know that if you put pathogens into raw milk, and test every day, they'll be going down every day until they disappear. Now, there's no other food like that. In other words, raw milk kills pathogens. Now, if you've drunk dirty milk just out of the cow, you know, from a confinement dairy or something like that, uh, these systems can be overwhelmed. So you still need to watch out for cleanliness. Right. But, but you know, you, I, I hear these government people saying that raw milk can uh, harbor all these different pathogens that's not correct it doesn't har harbor them it destroys them right absolutely because it would make no sense that something that is absolutely sterile would not harbor them, <laughs> which is well, their milk. Yeah, right exactly and the other thing is raw milk will eventually sour uh because it becomes replete with lactic acid producing bacteria which are helpful friendly bacteria it, it will become sour but still safe to drink. You might not like the taste, but it's still completely safe. Right. And, and uh, uh, maybe not in next week's uh, talk, but uh, in a few weeks, I'm going to have somebody on the show on Korean natural farming. And one of the things that we use is the whey or that, uh, you know, this, uh, yeah. from, from uh, milk to uh, feed the soil. And it's, it's, it makes the vegetables more crunchy. It makes them withstand temperatures better. It's awesome. Well, and also raw milk is a great fertilizer. Yeah. Great, perfect fertilizer. 
Right. We, uh, as you may know, uh, we have a farm. My husband and I have a farm, yes. and we produce uh, raw milk cheese. And the whey from the cheese goes to the pigs. Right. Now, in a big dairy, uh, that whey is a huge problem. And they can't get rid of it by putting it in the sewers because it's very corrosive. I mean, if you drop whey on a cement floor, it'll, it'll burn that floor. So what do they do with it? They, they, um, uh, they powder it and turn it into a powder and voice it on the public as something healthy. But here again, this is not a natural food. The whey proteins are very delicate and they're denatured by this powdering process. And this is not a good thing to put in your body. Whereas not so convenient you, after all. <laughs> no, no. And for many reasons. Uh, protein is very depleting of nutrients because you need a lot of nutrients to, from the fats to process the protein. But the, the point I'm trying to make is when you're farming like we are with multiple, multiple feces on the farm, these things are not a problem anymore. Exactly. Exactly. It's, there's no waste on a good farm. There's no waste. Yes, that's right. So um, I, I do, uh, we're going to have to wrap up soon, but I did want to, you did uh, mention children's health. What are, when Dr. Price looked at people, what was he looking at? What was he calling healthy? And then how did he distinguish that from the unhealthy? Because right. Well, he was a dentist. Uh, by the way, he wrote this book, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. And then um, we founded the Weston A. Price Foundation. That website is westonaprice.org. Uh, he looked at teeth because he was a dentist. And for him, good health was good dental health. That meant freedom from cavities. Now, can any of your listeners say that they're free from cavities? I mean, we've all had cavities. So. I, I don't have any. Yeah. You don't? No, I don't. That's, That's the one thing I never had. <laughs> uh, very unusual. And yes, also naturally straight teeth. And generation after generation, in other words, he was just not looking at people as they were, but what kind of children did they have? Yes. They ha did they have ease of reproduction and were the children healthy? And the children had broad faces and straight teeth. And this was all dependent on having the right kinds of fats in the diet, plenty of fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, and K. And so that's our emphasis at the Western Aid Price Foundation. So just to summarize, for him, health was not just about how you're feeling right now. But what's happening in subsequent generations? Right, and, and that's the a very robustness of those yes. individuals. Yeah, and they had you know it's a myth that they lost a lot of children in childbirth. No, they the children were healthy, and they spaced and, them. They they didn't have them back, spaced, back. Yeah, right. They spaced their children so that the mom could recover uh, her nutritional stores. They were very very careful about how they brought children into the world. If it was the year for drought. Uh, they did not have children. Mm -hmm. So either they didn't have sexual relations or they had certain kind of herbs for birth control. That's what so I call they, a dry spell. Yeah, it was a dry <laughs> spell. They had a real dry spell. They knew they couldn't bring children in during a drought year because they wouldn't be able to feed them. Right. So they were very, very careful about how they brought in children to the world. They had special foods, that really nutrient-dense foods like liver, shark liver oil, fish eggs that they started to eat six months before conception, and then those foods were continued through pregnancy, lactation, and during the period of growth for children. So very nutrient-dense diets to prepare for pregnancy 
and then to have healthy babies and then good growth in their children. And this is what we're not doing, unfortunately. This is why I wrote the book, The Nourishing Traditions Book of Baby and Child Care, which uh, tells parents how to prepare for pregnancy, what to eat during their pregnancy, how to feed their children. And this is really, really, this is why we set up the Weston A. Price Foundation. So we could um, reverse this really alarming trend towards physical degeneration. As you know, we have a very serious epidemic of health problems in our children today. Right. Uh, actually, I do want to uh, mention one thing that uh, you uh, didn't uh, talk about, which is also a bit topical when it comes to children in particular, is uh, tuberculosis, which was the scourge of the day in, in yes. Western Price's time. And these healthy societies, they didn't have it. They had no tuberculosis, even the ones that consumed raw milk. And as soon as the displacing foods of modern commerce arrived, you know, the processed foods, then in the next generation, they had crowded teeth, and they were very prone to tuberculosis. Right. And Dr. Price did not believe tuberculosis was caused by a micro, you know, by a germ. Mm-hmm. He believed it was due to malformation of the lungs because of poor nutrition in the womb. So the uh, the lungs actually started to dis, uh, decay, and then the microorganisms were just there to kind of clean up the, the damage. But they were not the cause of tuberculosis. The, the root cause was poor nutrition in utero. Right. In right. And, and, and it's, I think it's time that we begin to acknowledge that we need to build our immunity from the inside, not the outside. That's exactly right. Yes. Uh, because because yeah. uh, the, uh, I, I find it quite insulting to children to, to consider them vectors of disease. <laughs> Yeah, there's yeah. no there's no no shortage of parents and and others who talk about oh kids brought home something from school and the kids yeah. are so sick all the time and they just have disease all the time no the kids are not they're not mosquitoes and mosquitoes don't even necessarily carry them on their own these these are, I think that most of what we're looking at is introduced uh, from exogenous sources well Dr Price did not find any of these diseases among, for example, the Africans who were eating their native diets. They were completely immune. Right. But once they started eating the white man's food, they were not immune. So but Sally, is it the why, germ or I mean, is it the diet? Yeah. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. curious. Why was there, if, if, if this is the case where TB is concerned, why was TB uh, so prevalent in densely populated areas, uh, many of which were, you know, slums and you know, and why did it seem to spread through those areas so quickly? Right. Well, that's that's another factor, which which I didn't mention, and that is just the environment. So if you're living in a crowded, damp, cold houses, you know, when you think of it, it's a real luxury to be warm all the time, which they weren't in, you know, as the cities came together and people started living close quarters like that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, they weren't getting sun. Uh, their diets were not very good either. Exactly, uh, they had, they had the white man's food. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, the people on the Gaelic islands that he studied, they lived in smoke-filled houses that were damp and and um, dark <laughs> uh, all the time because they didn't have chimneys and they didn't get TV because their diets were so good. So it's it's several factors, but it's certainly the diet number one. Okay.
Awesome. Well, thank you so much, uh, Sally, for uh, spending some time with us today. Again, this is uh, Sally Fallon Morell, the president of the Weston A. Price Foundation. You can find their uh, their links to their website on our website, nourishingtraditions.com. Uh, but I'll spell it for you anyway, W-E-S-T-O-N-A. P-R-I-C-E dot org. And she has also written a book called Nourishing Broth, which you can find at nourishingbroth.com and uh, get on uh, her email list uh, for, um, uh, you have a free ebook that you're giving away there. Uh, and we will also have links to her books on our website. Jim, can you and, take us out of here? And our website happens Thanks to be nutrition. Me. Oh, thank you, Sally. <laughs> Thanks, Sally. Our website bye, happens bye, to be nutritionheretic.com. And if you would like to drop by and contact us about a suggestion you have for a guest, or maybe you would like to be a guest, hmm, just let us know. We'd like to hear from you. On Facebook, you can find us at facebook.com slash nutritionheretic. On Twitter, we are nutriheretic. <laughs> my, my tongue is somewhat malnourished today, so you'll just have to excuse me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, on one of those channels, please, by all means, feel free to uh, drop us a show idea, give us a question for a guest that you'd like us to answer. Just a question alone on our Facebook page about some topic that you're interested in can help us come up with a really great idea for a show uh, because great topics come from great questions. And remember, we're on iTunes and Stitcher. We'd love to have you drop by, listen to the show, and please leave us a review. Very important to us. <laughs> 